to the Dolphin UK podcast. Uh, it's been a week of speculation, uh, lots of head coaching stuff. We're going to get into all of that, but excited that it's our um, end of, well, I'm not excited because the season's over, but excited for our um, end of season awards. It's always a good bit of debate and uh, should be a uh, it should be a fun one today. So stay tuned. Uh, joined by Lee and Simon as always. Si, how are you, sir? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, Ian. And I apologise to any listeners if I don't manage to hit the mute button to uh, uh, get uh, blank out my cough. Um, so hopefully, I'll it won't interfere on the recording tonight. It'll be fine, mate. All good. Um, you can just come across as heckling when Lee picks uh, biggest, bus- biggest <laughs> yeah. busters to us. So that's fine. You've got <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee, how are you, sir? With a mouthful of drinks, so I'll yeah, not too bad. You. All good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all good. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? It's almost like waiting on free agent news, uh, waiting on just any any sort of tidbit about what, about what's going on about with the head coach and search. So that's it. That's it. We had a quick chat before yeah, we came on air about the uh, playoffs and Lee. I think you said you watched most of them. Any, any takeaways from the opening weekend at all? Yeah, good job. It's over. <laughs> get get to some competitive football. I think that's a, you know. Like the end of the San Francisco Dallas game was was ridiculous, and and I know people you know Dallas fans are complaining and stuff like that. But let's be honest, Jimmy G shouldn't throw the pick. It should never have been that close. It should have been a problem. So, you know, I think do you care? Like you, you know, you had fifty nine minutes before that to to get it right. Yeah, I mean, it was a hor- it was a horrible play call. I mean, I I mean, we'll probably get into it in a minute, but you know, I really didn't like that play call. I just, I, I don't understand even if you, even if it works out, really, you still only get one shot at the end zone. So I don't, I don't think it really does you a great deal of, of good. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I've not seen the playing question, um, but I know the one you're talking about, <laughs> but what I've read, um, there's been some of opinion to say it was the right play to call, but it was just poorly executed. Uh, what's your thoughts? I haven't seen it, but I mean, I, I, under, I understand the, the sort of notion behind it, but, if it was the right play call, it wouldn't have been so hard to, to execute correctly. I mean, it, you know, they knew the time left on, how much time was left on the clock. I mean, it, it's kind of a comedy of errors, really. If if, if if that goes down after 10 yards, like people assume he was supposed to, it's never a problem. If they hand the ball straight to the ref to get it spotted, it's not a problem. You know, there's kind of three, four things that go wrong on the play. And to be honest... I think what was the the game was like fourteen on the play. Do we think that that was fourteen yards further away from being able to make plays at the end zone? To yeah, me, it's crazy. You know, he he was in range for him to throw that ball. Um, the only thing was that um, oh, why do I keep forgetting his name? The the, the wide receiver, CD Lamb. CD Lamb had gone down like two plays before, and the only thing is is if you had something particularly in mind that 
you were desperate to get him in, but even that I think is bad because it means you were relying on one player. So, yeah, yes, indeed. Um, I thought it was I thought it was like probably like an in, like a good call, but yeah, I think Dak overran it. But it must be hard. Obviously, you get paid a lot of money, but when the field opens up like that in front of you, to just kind of slide down early. But uh, yeah, and then of course the ref gets blamed because that was a it's a solid tackle. I thought he came in and, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wrapped, wrapped up that quite well. There. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, enough of that chat. Dolphins aren't in the playoffs, as we're all aware, and that led to well, might have been part of the factors leading to. Brian Flores losing his job. Look at that for a segue. That was a good segue. <laughs> Come on. Um, we now know there are seven uh, coaching candidates that are currently coordinators for different teams. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they have to publicly request an interview with someone who's out of a job at the moment. Is that? Yeah, they don't have to. So that's someone why, in a college job. So that's why we haven't heard like any of the names that were being banded around originally, but. We still don't know whether the Dolphins are actually interested in those people anyway. Your Doug Petersons, your, your Jim Harbors, etc. So um, the seven names we've got are Vance Joseph, Thomas Brown, Brian Darb, Dable, Darble, Leslie Frazier, uh, Dan Quinn, Kellen Moore, and Mike McDaniel. Seven different different people there. I think you can you can clearly see the Dolphins are doing their work. Defensive side, the ball, offensive side, uh, young. More experience. There's a, there's a you know whole host of uh, kind of different ages and, and experience in the game uh, in front of us. I'll go to Lee. You first, mate. Is, is there any name that jumps off the off the off the sheet? Is there any sort of initial thoughts? You know, where are you at the moment in this this whole process? I am particularly confused still. Um, I've been trying to do research on as many of them as possible. I still don't think I've picked a favourite of my own. Um, if they, if they were to hire someone today, I don't think I'd be upset. Or I think there's only one person. I'm not a fan of Kellen Moore, um, and it's not it's not just because of the play on on Sunday. Obviously, that that would be be absolutely ridiculous. I just don't like um, players who have uh, coaches to kind of have success quickly in in a good offense, and that's kind of like oh well, that's who they are. Then that's you know Byron Leftwich is all of a sudden a great offensive coordinator, but. Let's be honest, he's got Tom Brady. He was also in charge of the offense when, when James Winston was there and it wasn't quite so prolific. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't. I'm, 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 hey, I'm taking the blame off, James. I'm putting it on the OC. But, yeah. but, but you see the point. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think coaching Tom Brady makes you instantly a head, a good head coaching candidate. I understand giving giving him an interview for sure. And with Jacksonville, it's obviously different because of the, the history. But I don't know. So saying about Kellen Moore feels a bit like the whole kind of. I said it last week. A bit like Chris Richard last time around for us. You know, Chris Richard was supposed to be one of the finalists. Chris Richard, I don't think has had an interview with anyone since. Um, you know, it, it, it's amazing how quickly some of these these coaches go off the ball. I, I prefer some that have been around um, different places had a few different experiences, which is why I think if I had to get it down to two, I'd probably be with, with Brian Dable and, and Mike McDaniels right now. Um, but like I say it's, it, it's really difficult. Um, I, I, but I also think it's funny because, because it's the dolphins and because the, the key word for most of the media is to just write dysfunction every single time they, they write the dolphins. I think it just auto cues up every time it comes now, you know, they're going to say, 
that we're not interviewing a great selection like like you just pointed out, which it is. They're going to say it's dysfunctional because they don't know what they want. And I, I actually think that it's a great thing. You know, they, they're not if they've just gone after offensive guys like we've seen that, and it does that that philosophy doesn't work. You want the best head coach, whoever that might be. All very interesting. Go on, Sai. Uh, your thoughts of, of the seven. I've essentially bracketed them into two groups. You've got the experienced defensive-minded coaches who have previously had head coaching roles, the likes of Leslie Frazier, Vance Joseph, Dan Quinn, or you've got your young, up-and-coming, offensive-minded coaches such as Thomas Brown, Mike McDaniel, uh, Kellen Moore, you've just mentioned, and Brian Dable. So it's very two very different sets of groups. I'm interested to see which route the Dolphins take. I mean, I've been looking at the defensive coaches, the ones that have got the experience and their resumes are not that impressive when you look at their overall records. For example, Leslie Frazier um, has been a head coach with the Vikings between 2011 and 2013, so quite a few years ago, but he's only got an 18-29-1 record. Vance Joseph, head coach for a couple of years with the Broncos, is 11-21. And Dan Quinn, who's got most experience of them all, albeit only five and a half seasons worth of experience being a head coach at Atlanta. He only had two winning seasons. Um, so their overall records are a bit underwhelming, if I'm honest with you. But where they do have the advantage over the other guys is their experience. But you also have to wonder where is the offence going to come from because they're very much defensive-minded. Of the other groups, you've got obviously Thomas Brown, who's only been a coach with the Rams for two years this is his second year so he seriously lacks any experience and, and I can't see how they would go for somebody like that who's as, as a head coach you've got um, Callan Moore who, who's Lee's just talked about and one thing he does have if he can call it uh, uh, in his head favourite he was a left-handed quarterback so he's got some kind of experience in in developing um, left-handed quarterbacks You've got Mike McDaniel, of course, who's the run specialist for the 49ers, who, who does actually write the plays for the Niners, but he doesn't call them. I'm going to call it now. If they do appoint him as head coach, Andy, it's going to really wind you up, the amount of people that call him Mike McDaniels. Yeah, leaders did McDan that. I almost, yeah. I almost had Lee <laughs> off on that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, good spot. Yeah. So it's going to be Miles <laughs> Gaskins-esque, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and, and then, of course, you've got, lastly, Brian Day, who's worked with Tour before. He's developed Josh Allen into a really good super quarterback. Um, he knows Miami for the for the year he spent there. He's got that offensive experience that perhaps the Dolphins need. And of course, by pointing him, you weaken a division opponent. So, so I've done a little bit of research on all of the, the candidates that we know are listed down for interviews. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting to see the contrast between them all. Yeah, good insight on more there, by the way. Now, that's uh, something I'm not sure many people realise on the left-handed quarterback thing. That's quite quite interesting. Sorry, Lee, one. I just think, just going back, to, it's interesting the way you split them up there, Simon, with the experience and the inexperienced coaches. It's it's going to be very telling how secure Chris Greer might feel in his job. You know, I mean, if, if he wants to save his job, maybe experience is the way to go and sort of mitigate the risk. If nothing else they've been head coaches. They're not going to fail at just simply being a head coach like Adam Gase did. Um, I don't know. I say it's, it's an interesting mix. 
Um, I just, yeah, that might give us some insight into how, how secure that position is. Yeah, I want, do want to make it clear, though, that Mike McDaniel, Brian Dable, and to a certain extent, Callan Moore, have, whilst they don't have any head coaching experience, they have a bucket load of general yeah. coaching experience. That's not to be confused with no coaching experience yeah. at all, which is where Thomas Brown might sit, because he's only, as I said, he's only had two years, but none of the aforementioned group have had head coaching experience. So at the moment, uh, the odds uh, have Brian Darble, Dable as favourite. Uh, Doug Peterson still remains second favourite. Eric B. Enemy, third favourite. Kellen Moore, fourth favourite. Then you go on to Baron Leftwich, Todd Bowles, Nathaniel Hackett, Joe Brady's in there, Kevin O'Connell. I mean, uh, I spoke actually, I told a massive lie. That's a week old odds I've got in front of me. So that is that is poor for me to, going through that. But that kind of shows how much things have changed in a week. You know, we had uh, we had a lot of names there that haven't even been requested for interview, and a lot of the names we have requested aren't on there. So that that's quite interesting. But what I would say is from um, a lot of time on Twitter this week, which we've had nothing else to do in terms of the Dolphins world, uh, it seems like there's two camps uh, emerging as Mike with Daniel and uh, Brian D- Dable, um, the, the kind of sort of people that are after the, the quirky sort of young and up-and-coming like uh, offensive genius, the Sean McVay, all in favour of uh, Mike McDaniel, which is where I feel I sit uh, quite comfortably at the moment. I, I actually listened to him talk about um, sort of player management as well. Uh, there was a clip where he was sat next to Sean McVay, funny enough, and talking about how you manage individual players, and it just sounded exactly what the Dolphins are after, um, albeit just words. And he hasn't had the, the chance to put that into uh, perspective as a head coach. And then he seemed to be getting a lot of people who are, uh, with, for want of a better term, that the kind of tour camp are all in on Brian Dable in the fact that they've worked with tour before. So quite interesting split uh, of what people want. And as we know, the Dolphins don't normally seem to do what the <laughs> fan base wants. So that could probably put rule them both out. So, that leads me to ask you both, um, you know, with those candidates you've got uh, in front of you, is there kind of one that, that you particularly want at the moment, Si, or is it just kind of, you're kind of happy to see where it goes? Not that we're going to get a say in the matter, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> who who cares what we, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't, I would like to steer clear of the uh, the defensive coaches, the Frasers, the Josephs and the Quinn, because I think there's uh, nothing wrong with our defence at all. It's the offence that needs the work. Obviously, we wouldn't know who they'd appoint as coordinators, but I, my preference would be to go with the the Brian Dables or the or the Mike McDaniel of this world. I need to say Mike McDaniel's of this world, but of course, there's Stop only it. one of them, isn't there? Exactly. There might exactly. be more than one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anything to get some creativity within our offense, because that's what we desperately crave at the moment. And Brian Dable of the two has got that track record with developing Allen and working with Tua. So I'm leaning towards him at the moment, but if it is Mike McDaniel at the end of the day, then if he can be as creative with the Dolphins as he is with the Niners, then great. Lee, any preference? I think you said you're just kind of as and when at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still still doing research. Like, if I had to pick one right now, I think I, I, when, when, it, when Flores got sacked, I was straight on the table just seems too obvious to me. It, I mean, it, it makes sense. It just wouldn't surprise me if that's the route they go. Um, but the more research they're doing, more I think I'm leaning towards McDaniel. Um, and, and I'd, I'd like to see him do almost, I think I said it on 
on the podcast the other night with Kadeem and, and Charlie that if if you were to go that route, I'd love to see him do the same thing that they did in, in bringing in an old head uh, at the def- defensive coordinator, but someone who can he can lean on to help learn how to be a head coach as well. And that would be the same for Brian Dable as well and any of the kind of first-time head coaches. I mean, Sean McVay's first thing that, you know, the first thing he did was hire Wade Phillips. I think it's probably the best thing he could possibly have done. Um, I'm not saying hire Wade Phillips. Hire Wade Phillips if you want. He's out there. But, you know, it's... I just think that that's it's going to be the the staff that's going to be more important. I think than than the individual head coach because I think it's the the inability to build a staff that's really kind of been the undoing of the last two head coaches. So interesting, mate. Interesting. So we've got a, a kind of a split camp, but all kind of on the offensive side of things. Um, one thing I did want to talk about uh, is the fact that the organisations seem to have come out and made clear they're going to back away from Deshaun Watson and go with Tua going forward. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but although we kind of ended up with statements, you know, saying that Tua was the guy under Flores, it never felt like it was this early and it didn't seem this definitive, do you know what I mean? So I wonder, um, obviously, a change of approach. And, and I've also got a second point, which is quite interesting, in that the amount of... Uh, news that's come out of the organisation like in the last week it's probably sort of 10 times what we've had in the last year so I guess you see Flores' control over the team's sort of media strategy there and we're going to see a, a sort of I don't know more a more typical uh, NFL football team uh, NFL team um, in terms of like news leaking to sort of um, you know beat reporters and, and that um, so yeah just your guys take on that the kind of the seemingly solid move towards Tua um, and then secondly the kind of sort of you know freer relationship with the media again Si any, any thoughts on that? Um, I think it's a positive move it's putting in uh, it's it's giving some clarity to the situation that arguably wasn't there under Flores which I think everybody welcomes um, and to have that commitment to Tua now will hopefully put to bed all the unrest and the rumours that perhaps caused a bit of disturbance among the organisation on the field. So, I mean, obviously what I would like is for whoever the new head coach is, um, he's going to be asked the inevitable question in his opening press conference and I'd like him to come out and say, yeah, we're going to go with two and two as our guy. Because if he doesn't do that, the rumours are going to start again. I think even if he's asked that question and can't answer it, like Flores or answered it the same way Flores answered it. And I think it's just going to raise more questions. So hopefully the, what they're doing now is the beginning of improving the PR um, and trying to recover the disaster that, that it was when Flores was around. Lee, do you think it's dangerous that um, they're coming out and kind of affirming that commitment? To, well, they're not coming out specifically, but it seems like they're, they're putting Tour as the guy now before appointing the head coach. Is that sort of an issue at all? Not for me. I, I mean, I've seen all the reports. I've seen all the people on Twitter saying you can't you can't hamstring a coach by saying this. You know, this quarterback has to be your guy. And I, to be honest, disagree. Um, I think Brian Flores would probably been far better off had he kept Ryan Tannehill. But he he came in and the first thing he was on board with was getting getting rid of the the quarterback that was here. And let's be honest, we know that providing the head coach doesn't do anything really bad like we know that Flores is 
tenure ended because of communication breakdown, and that was the biggest problem. But had, had he continued, he's probably going to get two quarterbacks. Do you know what I mean? The same way a GM usually gets two head coaches before before they get the sack. And I don't understand how if someone comes in, they could easily say, right, I'm, I'm not interested in two and I want another quarterback. But they know nothing about that other quarterback any more than they know about Tua other than watching his film. So it's got every ability to go just as wrong or just as right. So I would rather, look, this team didn't just invest a draft pick into it. They invested an entire an entire season by literally throwing players away and tanking specifically for one guy. Let's not pretend that this is a normal situation. This team invested way more. And, and one of the biggest problems with Brian Flores and the breakdown in communication seems to clearly be the disagreement on what to do with the quarterback. And the quarterback is here and the coach is gone. So I think, you know, people can try and, and make out that it's got nothing to do with the quarterback and, and stuff like that. But to me, it, it does. The, the team uh, have picked one. And I've got no problem with that. Like, you're going to have two first-round picks next year. If a coach comes in, doesn't like him after a year, you can say, right, I've tried to work with this guy. I don't think this is fixable. I don't think he is fixable as a quarterback. Let's move on. Great. But to come in and say it completely off-watching tape, you know, I say that, that's how people got such a bad opinion of Ryan Tannehill. Guy didn't play this weekend because he's got a first-round bye. He does. He does, sadly. Um. <laughs> but th- that's all I mean. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 yeah. I really would love to have seen Brian Flores work with Brian Tannehill because I think he could have got... Maybe not now we know that he couldn't put an offensive staff together, but that's probably the sort of experience quarterback they probably needed. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that's interesting to me over the last week. There seems to be sort of a rewriting of the narrative around uh, Flores. I mean, you you guys might disagree or not, but um, it seems like the organisation is coming out and... And I, I think, like I just said, I think rewriting history a bit here, saying like kind of pinpointing specific issues on Flores and stuff like that. And of course, we haven't heard this before, so they might be telling the truth. Um, uh, but I think there's, I think there's is some truth to it. But it just feels to me that suddenly he's being painted as this like horrendous guy who's sort of you know terrible for the team. The fact of the matter is, back to back winning seasons. Okay, we've not cracked the playoffs. But it just feels to me there's a bit sort of they're covering their own backs here and sort of, you know, going out there and, and kind of disparaging them in every way they can. And it just feels to me that that and obviously a lot of people buy into that because, you know, you you, you trust what you read in the media or some, some people trust what they read in the media, which is absolutely fine. But I don't know, Sai, what do you reckon? Do you, do you think that's the case? Do you think it's kind of like, you know, hindsight or it just feels a bit like a, a bit a bit of a strange approach by the Dolphins here? That sort of thing happens in an everyday walk of life, though, doesn't it? Somebody leaves a job and you blame all the mistakes that you uncover on the person that's left because they can't defend themselves. So it's an easy way out and he's an easy scapegoat to make for for the problems they had last season. I'm sure some of it is accurate uh, because you have beat reporters who are coming out with this stuff who are closer to the team and have various sources. So I'm sure there is an element of, of accuracy to it. And there has to be reasons why um, things fell apart. Otherwise, he wouldn't have got fired. So why can't it be the reasons that we're hearing about in, in the in the press? Um, so it is what it is. If if that's the reasons, then then 
fine. It's it's done. It's dusted, and they've just got to make sure that they don't have a repeat with the next coach. Yeah, all, all very interesting stuff, really. It's quite... Um, what, what is also interesting, uh, one of your point there about the beat writers, is that they didn't put this stuff out into the open at the time, and I, one imagines it's because if they did, they'd have their like um, access restricted, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it's quite it's quite interesting. Like they, They've got all these stories from behind closed doors, and suddenly they can uh, just trot them out uh, as and when they want. And um, I think there's stuff like... I, I still think, and I think... Uh, I don't want to like, put you on the spot, Lee, but there's stuff around like Will Fuller and stuff, which we've, we've sort of heard uh, through the grapevine that, you know, it's more than just the injury and stuff like that, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting yeah. what doesn't get out there. I mean, it, let's be honest. The, the, everything that's been said, I understand, I definitely understand where you're coming from. There's no way to know exactly what is true. And it definitely feels like, they, we know that it's going to be exaggerated in some way because that's just the way the media works. But also, I've not heard anything so far that I just think that's not believable. Everything so far makes sense to to a to a degree. It, you know, if it was true, wouldn't be a surprise. Um, I, I would imagine. They say I would imagine stuff is embellished. We heard that there was a veteran player on the team that was thinking of retiring because he didn't like he didn't like the atmosphere there. Like. That's bad. I always assumed it was Devontae Parker, I've got to be honest, but it could very well have been Will Fuller. I was also told before Brian Flores got sacked that two free agents, that, that Ogba and, and Gasecki had no interest in coming back. because and, that, and that's a guy on offense and a guy on defense. And I truly believe that Mike's got a, a decent argument that his value has been severely hurt by this coaching staff's inability to, to, to do anything. You know, um, when he goes to free agency this year, people are going to point at his numbers this year, and he's going to be like, "I had I had two rookie head coaches, like two rookie OCs, and stuff like you know, all sorts of nonsense." Um, but for Emmanuel Ogba, who's basically shined in Miami for for back to back years, to basically say, "I've got no interest in being back here," that that's that's not good. And I imagine it really did play a, a huge part into to why Flores is gone because. You, you can keep doing this. And I remember sitting here during free agency when we signed Carl Van Noy and, and saying, look, this is who Brian Flores wants. This is great. And we know that Brian Flores has final say over the 53. So all those players that came in on, on contracts and we said, great, in free agency, and then were gone a year later, he's a big part of that because he had final say over the 53. That's, you know, he, he he's telling you that I don't want this person on my team. Um and I imagine there's only so much of that because what's to say if you'd got to Sean Watson, if that's the guy you wanted, that you wouldn't have been in the same place a year later. You did it with Carl Van Noy, who was the guy that you knew, a guy that had played for, you know, you'd been there the entire time he'd been in New England and it still lasted a year of a four-year deal. Um, I don't know. I just think there's only there's only so much of that. I, I said on um, Go Time Dolphins and I, I wanted to say it with you guys because I'm interested to know, know what you think. People are saying that Greer needs more blame for what's happened. But as far as I'm concerned, the way Chris Greer is operating, whether you like it or not, is I am doing the shopping and you are telling me what to buy. And my job is to buy you what you want at a great price. So you tell me you want Will Fuller. I'll negotiate a good deal to get Will Fuller. You tell me you want to make a trade. I'm going to do that and try and get the best value possible. But it's only for the players that the head coach wants. 
And I've got no problem with that because I don't want a head coach who's coming out and saying, well, I can't do this because I have the players I want. Brian Flores had everything he wanted with the exception of possibly Deshaun Watson. Yeah, that's, that's Chris Greer's get-out, isn't it? Yeah, and that. that's that's what I imagine yeah. he said to Steve Ross. Hmm. Yeah, I, it's like Greer can't... Um, has got a, a very valid defence against Ross sacking him because he's given Brian Flores exactly what he's delivered or he wanted. Plus, he's got the added um, bonus of turning around the cap position over the last several years, which has led to them at a point now where they've got the largest cap space in the NFL in the run-up to 2022. So he's got that argument in his favour as well. I say, there's no reason to say that had Flores got a Deshaun Watson, that he wouldn't want it to move on within a year or two years because he... he because he had final say over to 53, I think it, we can say with a with a decent degree of certainty that he was at least on board with the tour pick when it was made. And that's lasted less than two years. Do you know what I mean? It, there's, there's no reason to say that, that it's going to be better just because Deshaun Watson might be a better player. Carl Van Noy was better than the guys that we were left with afterwards. Eric Flowers, you know, the, the list goes on. I just think it's, again, it's believable, but I don't necessarily think it means Chris Greer has done a bad job. Yeah, I do wonder if um, they started shopping for their roster with Watson already in mind. Obviously, that the Fuller deal would kind of say that and stuff last last summer, and thus uh, Greer must have been well, well, well. If he didn't guess that that was the plan, then he was he was daft. And um, and and you could also say that if Flores is coming and telling you what to do in your role, then there's got to be a point. You've got to be a point where you kind of push back and say, no, you let me do this part of the team. Because you can't see like Jason Light or anything like that uh, running the Bucks as well as he is at the moment, just kind of giving way. You know, there's, there's GMs and there's GMs. And if is going to be, I give you what you want guy, then what? Then why bother having him and just, you know, go for the Bill O'Brien Texans model? I know it didn't work out, but what's the point? Yeah. want to follow up Lee's point around Mike Gesicki, uh, not wanting to potentially come back because of the way he was utilised in the offence, especially towards the end of the season. And he's got a point because I recall we were talking on the pod in the early part of the season, um, what, a, what a great start he had to the season, and we were putting him in the elite category. But just to back up his argument, if you like, and trying to counter Lee's, um, Mike Gesicki had 73 receptions this season, which tied the franchise single-season receptions record for Dolphins tight ends, and he was just 11 yards shy of the single-season tight end receiving yards mark for Dolphins behind Randy McMichael. In addition to that, um, did you know he led all tight ends with 324 receiving yards in the fourth quarter and overtime this season? Um, so he, he has got the stats to back up um, his whatever, any contract demands he might he might propose um, so I just thought it was an interesting point there to sort of counter what Lee said earlier, <laughs> excuse me, about him being underutilised. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and you can all, but the, the, the downside is that you could say he could have like smashed that record, couldn't he, if he was getting the yeah. service he was getting early doors. Yeah, yeah. so yeah I, can, yeah, I can see definitely both sides of the, of the argument. Right, fellas, and anything to add into this mix before we move on to the fun bit? Yeah, let's get a head coach soon so we can talk about a new head coach instead. 
Exactly. Then we can exactly. start planning for free agency because we know who that you know if it's if it's a Mike McDaniel who's a run game specialist and it changes everything, you know it's yeah we need to know. Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm hopeful whoever it is wins the Super Bowl, so I'll be back to talk because I'm I'm off on holiday for a couple of weeks, so I'm hopeful they get to the Super Bowl. So the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, it can be appointed <laughs> and I'll be here. So that's the. That's the main thing, um, right? League, uh, so end of end of season uh, awards. Um, I also just noticed that we've got most improved player in there again, and I always laugh when I see that. It's basically the uh, you were pretty crap, but uh, you've got a little bit better kind of award, isn't it? So anyway, that's that's my favourite award. <laughs> when you're growing up as a kid and the kind of you're playing football, you know, it's participation. The, the most, it's the the most improved player award is always the one I thought, God, I, I really don't want to get that. <laughs> and you said exactly the same story last year. Exactly, Andy, you, exactly. Were, you were talking about being a goalkeeper, weren't you? Exactly. So uh, yeah, I just I just saw it. It's the first time I've seen that award in a year. Obviously, I think I've got like flashbacks of nightmares of every year sitting in the in the changing room at the end of the year, hoping I didn't get that one. So there we go. Sai, you're going to lead us through this bit as the uh, as the question master. Uh, so over to you, mate. Well, we're going to start off with most improved player then, I think, Andy. It seems a logical place to start. <laughs> that um, sounds good. So, And we'll start with you, Andy, as well, who's your most improved player. <laughs> I'm going to go with Brandon Jones, who I think had uh, an excellent second year in the league. Uh, I think he got the most sacks amongst safeties um, and kind of came up with a lot of sort of big plays for a guy that, that wasn't necessarily on the field every uh, every snap, he's not. I don't think he's an every down sort of player. Um, but I thought he, I thought he had a good good year, and considering where he was drafted the previous year, most improved. Brandon, hopefully uh, you're not listening and, and take offence to that. <laughs> Lee. Well, Lee, what's yours, Lee? So I actually went a little bit, uh, a little bit more recent. I, I think Jalen Phillips because of his improvement solely in the season. I think mean, you know his improvement from game one to to the end of the season was was excellent to be honest you know I came on here and said early in the season I was worried because he, he was disappearing um by the end of the season he's turning into a monster and let's be you know it, it's exciting for what might come next year he's going to get one of them small trophies with like a, <laughs> <laughs> a little sort of American football player you know like really, like shaped like a Y with the American football player in the middle so there you go yep. Jalen Go on, sorry. <laughs> I too had um, Brandon Jones, funnily enough. Um, five five sacks. He led all NFL defensive backs, would you believe, with with five. And that was the most by a Dolphins defensive back in terms of the number of sacks since the official sack stat began in 1982. So uh, he started 11 games alongside Javon Holland, of course. And he played a key role in, in the defensive performance, especially in the second half of the season. So, yeah, Brandon Jones gets my vote for most improved player. There you go. Also Stats known as all. previously crap. Yes, exactly. Previously crap. That's a bit, bit harsh on Brandon <laughs> That's Jones. That's what it should be, the previously wasn't. crap award. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that next year then. <laughs> make, make that note now. <laughs> Talking of being crap, um, best free agent signing. I think <laughs> historically this is one that where the Dolphins have arguably not fared particularly well in terms of their free agent signings over the last couple of years. And I think that's reflected in in my choice of best free agent signing. But before we get to mine, Lee, who have you got down as best free agent signing? 
So I went with Adam Butler because I thought he had an under-the-radar year but was really solid. I thought you got what you paid for. He was exactly as advertised. And I, I hate it when people pay big money in free agency and then expect players to be different to what they were. Like I'm trying to I'm trying to buy the guy that I saw play for whatever team he was previously on. And I thought we got that from Adam Butler. Um, yeah, that, that's it. There's no no more good, rationale than that. That was a good write-up. Um, yeah, Andy? If I may, yeah, I think we went with like Byron Jones. Was it Byron Jones we went with last year, yeah. maybe? And and thus, the, the, this is chalk and cheese, because I've gone for Duke Johnson this year with the kind of difference in salary. <laughs> I mean, it just shows you sort of like how crap our free agency uh class was this year that I'm, I'm talking about a running back that we that only played in like five meaningful games possibly so um but I, I thought the impact Duke Johnson had down the stretch uh as much as it was very good I thought I think it's also kind of you know led to a big criticism of the coaching staff and the fact they haven't picked up that kind of player before not necessarily Johnson but and it was the biggest vindication Lee of us sitting here last year saying we want a big running back to go and like you know, knock through the tackles because he just did the business down the stretch, didn't he? So that was really pleasant to see. To be honest, I was going to say Duke Johnson, but then I thought by free agent signings, <laughs> you meant prior to the season. So that's why I bailed <laughs> out of it. Um, well, I you'll be pleased to hear I didn't bail out of saying Duke Johnson because I did actually say Duke Don- Johnson. So Andy, you and I are two for two. In two terms for two. Of awards. Love it. And, I, and as I alluded to earlier, I think that's a reflection on the quality of free agent signings that the Dolphins are not making um, the fact that we've given it to somebody who only joined the roster for five games or so at the end of a season. Um, obviously, <laughs> excuse me, you've got honourable mentions. I've got Duke Riley um, blocked a punt versus Carolina, which was the only one they blocked all year. Even Michael Pilardi had 20 punts inside the 20, eight inside the 10 and four inside the five. So he deserved an honourable mention. But then you've got the dross like Will Fuller, uh, Jacoby Brissett, Max Skura, Robert Foster and Malcolm Brown to name a few of the other free agent signings that, that are certainly not worthy of a mention. Um, just going back to last year, actually, best free agent signing um, last year was uh, Lee said Jones and Andy and I went for Ogba last year and most improved or previously crap player, <laughs> um, Andy and Lee, you both went for Andrew Van Ginkle, who actually, to be fair, has continued his upward yeah. curve this season. And I went for Miles Gaskin um, last year. So just uh, a matter of uh, interesting points there. Moving on to the next one, I've got the biggest bust. Have, have you? That's a, that's a very bold claim, sorry. Yeah. yeah, who has got the biggest bust? Um, I, I, do you want me to go first? Yeah, go uh, that should definitely be the trophy for them as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I will go a bit left field here and go for Miles Gaskin, who I thought um, coming into the season, I mean, I don't think the three of us necessarily bought it, but a lot of Dolphins fans bought Miles Gaskin as the sort of running back that, that would lead this team uh, to the playoffs this year, even though. Uh, we didn't really have a whole sample of work to say that he could do that. Uh, I don't think he lived up to that, and, and thus my pick of Duke Johnson. Um, I just don't think he's up for the every down, um, uh, every down sort of role. I mean, I've got the, some of the box scores in front of me as I was searching through earlier for the um, uh, best moment of the year, best moment of the year sort of award and box scores of Gaskin averaging two two yards a carry less than that. It's just not for me. 
uh, you know, he's a complimentary back, let's say that. So, biggest bust there. And uh, and there's obviously a very obvious one we could have mentioned, and I'm sure one of you two will go with that one. Um, just referring back to last year, uh, Andy, you mentioned Antonio Callaway is the biggest bust. Lee went for Breeder. Uh, and I went for Preston Williams, who could conceivably also wanted <laughs> the biggest bust this year as well. But Indeed. I'm, two-time I'm gonna... winner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go for him, though. I'll, I'll share mine in a moment. But, Lee, who was your biggest bust? Yeah, I mean, I put Will Fuller. It's too obvious. But I was like, pff, he, he deserves it because he lived up to every fear that we had when we signed him. Um, and I still wish we'd gone... Juju Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree. To be fair, I think everybody would would um, have a really uh, valid reason for saying Will Fuller, which is exactly why I went somewhere different. Um, I'd, I'd, my because he was the obvious one, but there are a few who you could put into this category. Uh, honourable mention for Jason Sanders, who had a down year. Wouldn't quite call him a bust, but he didn't live up to expectations. Jacoby Brissett. Um, we all thought he was going to be a good backup. Um, hope we were hoping he weren't. We weren't going to find that out, but unfortunately, <laughs> we did. Um, Liam Eichenberg, uh, you'd expect more from a round two pick, but at least he saw the field a lot. Could be um, previously crap next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hope, um, hopefully, my yeah. <laughs> my biggest bust this year is going for Hunter Long because I think it was a really a wasteful pick, considering we had a bucket load of tight ends on the roster anyway. Uh, I, the pick confused me at the time. It still confuses me now because he hardly saw the field. Um, so a uh, complete waste of a pick there for Hunter Long, and he's he's my biggest bust this year. I think with Hunter Long, I, I think now this coaching regime is gone, I think we may find out that that injury was worse than... Than we thought it was. I know. I know he suited up. Um, was it week one, week one or week two when we had had a couple go down with with COVID? Um, but you know, I remember that day in training camp when it came through that he'd gone down with a non-contact injury, and basically they thought he was done for the season. And then he was suiting up week one, and it's just like this doesn't make sense. The same as the whole Preston Williams thing last year, like with, with the foot injury that like he, for a winner he might have died, and they wouldn't have told us so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hunter Long, of course, was a rookie, which is a nice little segue into our Rookie of the Year award. Um, I'll lead off on this one. Um, now, there are three clear, obvious candidates, and I wouldn't be surprised if we all went for the same one, but equally, I wouldn't be surprised if we all went in a different direction. So, But I'm going to go for um, Javon Holland as my Rookie of the Year. Um he was the only player in the AFC to have multiple sacks, interceptions and fumble recoveries. And, and he formed that great partnership with Brandon Jones, of course. Um, so um, Javon Holland is my Rookie of the Year. Andy? Same. Um, i got Holland written down. Obviously, could be uh, could be Waddle. Uh, probably should be Waddle. But, um, but Holland, for where he was picked up, um, you know, we, we had a lot of people assuming that would be a running back. Um, I think a few people were disappointed as a result that it wasn't a running back. And he just came through and, and was by far the best safety in that uh, in that this year's last year's rookie class uh, and should and could be the you know free safety on this team or strong safety, whichever one you want to put him at for the next 10, 
years. So very, very good pick. Lee, are you going the same route or you've got somebody different? No, I'm not. I'm going a different route. But I, uh, I was convinced uh, that Andy would be going with Javon Holland. Um, <laughs> but but I, I've got absolutely nothing against Javon Holland either. You know, definitely a great pick. But I, I went with Jalen Model. I just thought he was absolutely exceptional. Um, breaking that Akron Baldwin record, I just thought he fully deserved to get. And especially in the same amount of games, you know, I've already had people saying to me, oh, well, it's a 17-game season. Yeah, well, look harder because he only played 16. And to be honest, if we'd been even half competent in the Tennessee game, he would have broken it by by a stretch, I think. So, yeah, I, I just thought it was really impressive. But no, nothing against Javon Holland either, you know. Like you say, we're lucky that we've got a couple there that we could put in that, in, in that, uh, for, in for that award. Yeah, I nice. Think the, I think Waddle, sorry, Barry, I think Waddle's like the, the, the best thing to come out of this season offensively by far. But the question mark in my head is like, how much better could he get in terms of, you know, once you've got like an experienced or a more competent offensive staff, um, hopefully coming in, he could be like absolutely like, you know, top five, considered top five wide receiver in, in the whole of the league. And, and I just hope we compliment him to take some of that pressure off his shoulders and make sure that he doesn't start to get all kinds of, um, you know, uh, exotic defensive looks to take him out of the game because he's just an electric playmaker, isn't he? So, yeah, fingers crossed it keeps going up. And nice graphic too, Lee, by the way, for those <laughs> that saw it on social media. Um, Honourable mention, of course, for Jalen Phillips, who had eight and a half sacks, which is a Dolphins rookie record. And he was the first rookie in the NFL since Julius Peppers in 2002 to have six sacks in a three-game span between weeks 11 and 13. So honourable mention for Jalen Phillips, and he too, of course, is is going to be one to watch for the future also. Have you got Jared Dokes stats there, mate? <laughs> no. <laughs> we need to get Jared Dokes. <laughs> the only interesting thing I found about Jared Dokes when I did a, my research was that he's got a really large beard. I thought you were going to say something That's a whole other award. <laughs> I actually reached out to Jared Dokes to try and get him on the podcast. So if he's listening to this, reply, get on the podcast. Um, last but one category, um, before we head to team MVP, I've got your moment of the season. And this could literally be anything you like in terms of moment, good or bad, um, personal or team orientated. Uh, we've had we've had a lot of ups and downs this season, but Lee, what what's your moment of the season? So I put a couple down here. So I put I, I put a couple for myself as well as one that is solely based on the team, and that was obviously being able to to go and see the team practice in London and do you know do everything around the game, and then be be in the press box for the game there, and then the same when I went to Miami, I just feel you know. Th- ridiculously lucky to have been able to do that um yeah so th- those are big moments for me personally but for, for the team um when Tua came in in the Baltimore game to hear hear the crowd actually be to be kind of one um it might have, might not have been pretty but that was a game that we we were certainly not on track to win but it was just great at a time when everything was really a bit of a dumpster fire so yeah, that, that was for me, just, just a great moment. I remember being so excited sitting here in, like, at home in, in the middle of the night. Um, and I, I just finished talking to a friend of mine who had just gone to bed. And he was, he was like, yeah, you should really be winning this game. I was like, Tua needs to be in the second half of this game. Don't ho- hope for anything to happen to Jacoby Brissett. But when he went down, he stayed down. Part of me was like, 
but at least you can see two are. So yeah, can't agree, can't disagree with those, um, Lee. And this it's it's probably appropriate for me to jump in with my choices actually because I've gone for something very very similar. Personally, I felt honoured and privileged to be able to attend the. Uh, team walkthrough and press conferences with in London. Uh, not there aren't many people who get an opportunity to do that, that sort of thing and to, to sit in front of to uh, ask him a question and, and get it answered. And the same with Brian Flores as well. Um, was I just felt really honoured to be able to do that, and that was a personal high for me. Um, and then on the field, I've gone something very similar. It's that overall Baltimore game actually where. The season was sat at two and seven again coming into that game against the top ranked NFL offense uh in the Ravens and Lamar Jackson and uh, on all what he brings. And it was a, just a tremendous defensive performance. Four sacks, seven QB hits, seven passes defensed, a 49-yard fumble recovery for a touchdown by X. They held Baltimore to their third fewest points total in a game since 2018. Um, and of course, we had the added bonus of Tua coming in to, to lead the team to victory um, in that game as well. And I just remember watching that game, not live, but on uh, delay whilst I was supposed to be working at my desk at home. And I hardly got any work done because the game was just riveting. And, and that's, I know they beat Houston the week before, but I think that performance in the national spotlight started to turn the season around for the Dolphins and, and was a very much welcome performance in the end. So those those two moments for me were were the moments of the season. Um, Andy? Um, I think the my, my personal one was obviously getting out to the New York game. Um, good to see sort of uh, the, the team play in a meaningful regular season game. A lot of the games I've been to live in Miami are always the last game of the season, you know, around Christmas time when we've been over there before and they've not really meant a lot. So, this was really good. Um, X's interception of Mike Glennon was absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, one of the one of the plays of the season on its own. And I also really enjoyed uh, Mac Hollins's touchdown, just being directly behind that, and kind of uh, Mac Hollins stepping up to to deliver the big play that the big play that he often does for the team. So that was really good. And team wise, I think sweeping the Patriots, um, big season for 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 the Dolphins in terms of. The head coach was from from that from that tree, and then the kind of tour versus Jones debate, and the way we saw everyone seem to to, to worship the ground that Matt Jones uh, walked on until uh, he got rather embarrassed at the weekend, um, and Tua came out on top both times. And I mean, you know, wasn't that comfortable at times in the first game of the season, but you know, the, the way the team rallied at the end last game, despite being out of the playoffs, to, to kind of get that victory was very impressive and. You can't uh, you can't say that every team, every Dolphins team you've ever seen swept the Patriots because they haven't. So, really impressive way to finish the year. Good stuff. Um, just for completeness, actually, because we've done it with all the other categories. But last year's moment of the season, Andy and I went for the Vegas finish um, with Ryan Fitzpatrick's uh, bomb to Matt Collins and Lee. You went for Tua being drafted as your moment of the season. And Rookie of the Year, Andy and I went for Raekwon Davis and Lee, you went for Solomon, Kin- Solomon Kinley. Yes. There you go. So well, last, times have changed. Yes, indeed. Finally, uh, Team MVP. Um, last year, you two guys went for Xavier Howard and I went for Jason Sanders. This year, um, 
I think the despite the overall record, we've we still got one or two candidates. I think um, I'll run through my shortlist in a moment. But Andy, who have you gone for as your team MVP for 2022? Gone for Emmanuel Ogba. Uh, I think just completely dominant on that defensive line. Um, you know, it's it's like the Dolphins haven't always had a. Apart from Cam Wake, it's not it's not been you know not been pretty at times at defensive end uh, in recent years. So he's just been really reliable, hasn't he? When, to, when we need a big sack, uh, Ogbe comes up with it, and also very impressive like passes defensed as well. Sort of not your typical stat for for a big uh, defensive lineman like him. So really hope he's back next year. Um, I think he's earned every penny of a big contract. Uh, sadly, I'm I'm still not sure uh, whether that will happen. So. There's my pick. Ogba had a career-high 12 passes defensed in 2021, would you believe, which was the most by an NFL defensive lineman since 2016. There you go. And, and if you play um, IDP fantasy football where you have the individual defensive players, uh, the man was just a machine. There was points everywhere. So that also helps. And I did have him in the league, the only league that I won this year. So there you go. <laughs> so yeah, Ogba had 12, but the overall record ever was JJ Watt in 2012 with 16. Uh, Lee, your team MVP. So this this is the only one that I didn't have written down before the show, and I I, I thought about going with Ogba. I'm pretty sure Andy was going to go with Ogba. <laughs> <laughs> then I thought I might go with whoever I didn't give the rookie award to, because just because you've only been on the team, it doesn't mean you can't be team MVP or anything like that, you know. Um, and I would have no problem giving it to Javon Holland, but. I'm going to go with exactly who I said last year. I'm going back to Xavier Howard. I thought he came up big at times. I thought maybe with the interceptions being down, we didn't hear his name called as much, but that's because he was just being an absolute blanket. You know, I, I think that's that's one of the true measures of a corner, and it's why I'm, I'm such a big fan of Byron Jones, because you don't really hear his name because he's just doing his job. Yeah, he doesn't have the, the flashy interceptions, but I think... I think maybe the, the Trayvon Diggs stuff is going to kind of open people's eyes to there's more than the interception numbers because he's been getting burnt all year as well. So he comes up with the picks, but he also gives up a metric ton of yards, you know, and he got made to look a little bit silly on Sunday a, a couple of times. And when you don't have the interceptions, all of a sudden people say, it's not so good. And I just thought X, he, he asked for his money. He got, he got some, and I think he probably lived up to it and I I would do whatever it takes to make sure he's on the team again next year I don't think he's you know I'm keeping him there till he's past it to be quite honest yeah I think he got seven turnovers last season three of which were in quarter four of a game two t- two touchdowns and he had a turnover in four of his last eight games so yeah for, he was certainly on my short list um, amongst others which also included the likes of Christian Wilkins who tied for most tackles um, in the season, as we've already mentioned. Uh, Mike Siki got an honourable mention simply due to the number of receptions that he picked up this season, which was almost a franchise record. Javon Holland got my Rookie of the Year award, even though he is also in contention for team MVP in my eyes. Um, Tua, we can mention as well, um, He his 80% completion rate in three games has only been surpassed by Drew Brees in NFL history to have such games in a, in a single season. His metrics are improving 
across the board after his rookie year, which is what you'd expect. So he gets an honourable mention, but my team MVP is Jalen Waddle for this year. Um, as we've already said, rookie reception record with 104 catches. And he became the first rookie in Dolphin history to have a thousand yard season as a receiver, would you believe? So um, for those those two stats alone um, make it clear for me that Jalen Waddle is the team MVP in my eyes. And of course, he, he picked up that award uh, the Dan Marino team MVP as well for for real. So uh, yeah, Jalen Waddle for me, and that um, that's all our awards, Andy, for this year. There you go. That was good, man. I enjoyed that. We wanted a bit of variation yeah. after our uh, two and two start, but yeah, yeah. all good. And, we, and we've coined previously craft as well, which I'm happy about. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the future. Right, <laughs> um, like guys. Uh, I think we're almost at the hour mark, so probably uh, wrap it up there. I can see in the background that Birmingham City are losing 4-0 to Fulham at half-time. So uh, kind of a, <laughs> a good good day to be a Birmingham fan. So, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. Unless anyone's got anything else to add? No, I just uh, want to wish... I'm sorry, go on, Lee, you first. I was just going to say, it's amazing, isn't it, after what was such a down season to start with, we're sitting here looking for a new head coach. We've still got plenty of people to give a lot of these good awards to, you know, the, the positive ones. Um, and there's still plenty of good things to look back on, even it, it, in what was on the, the edge of being, you know, an absolute disaster. So, yeah, it just shows, it goes to show, keep the faith, things things, things will get better. Yeah, it's been a Andy, big year. Go on. Sorry, go on. I was, <laughs> no, was going to say, just been a big year for us as well. I think it's been, uh, you know, we've kind of, gone upwards and onwards as a as a podcast and that's like you know thanks to everyone listening thanks to everyone engages on twitter um you know the, the uk has got a huge fan base of dolphins and everyone's just so sort of informed and willing to have a debate as well which is interesting even though there's certain people that i hate engaging with but we're not gonna we're not gonna name them you can <laughs> you can take a guess <laughs> so so do we need people to vote on the previously crap podcaster award so one of us gets the most improved <laughs> Just, well, that, that'd be uh but simon's got biggest bust already so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah big, biggest gut more like i think <laughs> on, Simon. sorry i interrupted you that's right. I was just going to wish you and Sophie happy holidays in Orlando. I hope you have a really good time. And I don't believe you're now back before we, uh, if we continue to record on a Tuesday, you won't be back before the Super Bowl. Is that right? That is correct. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll chip any thoughts I've got over to you guys if you're going to record. And obviously, um, if we announce a head coach before this time next week, we'll dive on and do a, an emergency rec- uh, recording. But um, let's hope it's a Super Bowl winning coach so they can come in with a bit of momentum. And in the meantime, Lee, I'm sure you and I will will pull something together to, to get some more content hey, can, out there for our listeners, won't we? We can always talk dolphins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Well, thanks for everyone for listening. Let us know who your own um, team award winners are. And yeah, we'll speak to you soon.